0: Oh, good morning. Hopefully this time I won't be as uh, nervous. But no promises. So for me, it's been a couple weeks. Um, Two weeks ago I was at work. Last weekend I was at man camp. Um, We had a great time. But I just want to be honest, like I missed you guys. Like I rushed back after we cleaned up camp, took shower didn't unload anything, and, and ran back to church, just because I missed church, I missed seeing faces, I missed this church family. Um, during this time that we've been without Jared, that the light has been on sabbatical, um, we've had the privilege of, of hearing some really good speakers, Michael Godshaw. Um, I just really appreciate like his organization. And his on-pointness, like he just, his message was impactful for me. Uh, Rick, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but when Rick preached, it seemed like a half an hour, but he actually spoke for an hour. His theology is that solid, like it was pretty cool. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy always speaks with passion and love. Um, and of course, Trevor, who's not really a fill-in for, for Jared, but he continues to grow in presence and depth. If you've seen him over the last two, three years, um, his growth is, is just amazing. And I mean, how could he get as excited about rom-coms last week? That was awesome, right? No. <laughs> I can only pray that I get to that level of clarity. And then there's Dave. And this is where you have to truly realize God gives us different gifts and talents. And I know preaching my preaching style isn't as polished as these other men. Um, There should probably be a big orange road sign down here that says, under construction, because that would be accurate. Um, But going back to man camp, uh, what you missed, um, you missed a time of rest. You missed some great fellowship. Um, We met some new guys. Uh, We had fishing, swimming, ATVs. Uh, Matt Salcedo taught us about our identity in Christ versus our identity in the world. And Larry taught us, Larry actually taught us something. <laughs> he taught us not to make checklists out of the do's and don'ts of what God's word says, but to actually make heart change. Uh, Danis took us through the four faces of manhood and checking in with each other spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, and mentally, but don't make an acronym out of that. Um... And that, that Saturday night was followed up by, by some serious confession and prayer time that was super powerful. It was moving. And then Matthew Nolan brought it home on Sunday morning, uh, bring, tying it all together and bringing us right back to the gospel. Um, but yeah, I still rushed to get back here because I missed you guys. Um, but I also want to thank like all the wives that made that possible because you guys held down the fort and... All the people that stepped up and served in our absence, like, thank you, seriously. Um, So getting into today's sermon, I was really convicted, conflicted. I've actually had this sermon for about three months, but I didn't really start focusing on it until about a month ago, um, just because it was so big and there were so many other things like trying to navigate. And so... As I started to prepare, there were things going on in my life that, that just kind of rattled me. Um, I'm a firefighter, and basically it was a couple of guys that I worked with. One of them I hadn't worked, worked around in quite a long time. Um, he was coming to the end of a 30-year career, and he had, I think, two months to go, and he'd already announced his retirement, and next thing you know, he took his life. And the hard thing was, he wasn't a believer. Um, he had had a terminal illness, and the pain was increasing, and he just got to a point that he couldn't take it. And so my prayer there is just that somehow his family would come to know Christ, and somehow God uses this for people in his life. And then there was another guy who was even a little bit <sighs> sorry harder to understand. It was a man we'd spent time with, we'd broke bread with. Um, He was faithful in his church, a longtime believer, a big part of Firefighters for Christ, which is an organization that basically raises money to send equipment and go train other countries, small departments that they don't have the the finances or the ability to do it on their own, and they also do disaster relief. Yeah, this guy... um, About a couple weeks ago, he was arrested for child molestation. And to say that that left me angry and confused is an understatement. I wasn't mad at God. I was hurting for those that he had hurt, um, because I know some of those hurts. And so it was a struggle. And so getting into the themes for for this sermon, like, I wasn't sure how God was leading me to tie this in, but i 'm going to try um, the end of Matthew and the beginning of, uh, fifteen and the the beginning of uh, Matthew sixteen is where we 're at today, and some of the themes there are Jesus heals many, Jesus feeds the four thousand, the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, demand signs and then and then also beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees and so there were just some themes that I had to work through. How do I make this all fit? How, Holy Spirit, what are you telling me to do here? You know, are, where are we to get enough bread? And where, beware of the leaven? Or where are we to get enough faith? Or beware of false teaching? And honestly, I didn't know where to go with this. And I prayed, and I wrestled. And one morning, uh, the Lord put this part of a verse on my heart, and I had to find it, and it was Matthew 25, 12. And it says, Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste in some versions it says ruined is brought to desolation and no city or house divided against itself will stand a house divided cannot stand and for us a heart divided cannot stand so i pray this message is clear this has been my prayer the whole time is how do i make this clear it's clear to me how do i make it clear for these guys And so I'm gonna bring just a little bit of levity right now with uh, a clip um, from City Slickers. You guys can pull it up. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. <laughs> so what's that one thing? I don't know if this is going to be one thing or a multitude of things, but we're going to get into it. Um... If you're working in the Black Bibles, it's on page 771. We're going to be in Matthew 15. We'll start up Matthew 15, 29. And so as I got into it, I had a couple options, right? So if you look at all the verses that I had, if we did a deep dive on these verses, uh, I'd probably be here two or three hours. So I went with option two, And we're going to get through it as best we can, and I'm going to try to hit the most pertinent points of these passages. So verse 29, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Remember, these are Gentile crowds who are seeking Jesus on a mountaintop. Commentators note that like this is the one time in the Bible where, where people aren't necessarily seeking God or seeking Jesus as the Messiah. They just heard about this guy who, this Israeli guy who heals people. So let's go get healed. And, and miraculously, they were healed. But Jesus didn't heal them because they had faith. He simply healed them because he loves us. Um, it was God's plan from the beginning. In Genesis 12, 3, uh, when God sends out Abram into the world and says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I think that's the first sign that Jesus is, he's uniting everybody. It's not just the Jewish faith or the Jewish people. He's calling everybody. In verse 31, the crowd wondered at the miraculous healings. The Greek word koulos for crippled, also used in Matthew 8.18 and Mark 9.43, means crooked, maimed mutilated, which leads some scholars to the conclude that Jesus may have restored amputated hands and feet. To me, the whole thing is just mind-blowing. I mean, I can imagine someone being sick, and, and they get healed, right? I can, I can picture that. I can see somebody physically being blind, and they get healed. I can picture that. But I, I cannot imagine somebody with no hand all of a sudden having a hand. And if that didn't show all If that didn't show that Jesus was God, I don't know what would. But they were astonished. Moving on to verse 32. Then Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion on this crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they they faint away or faint on the way. As we've heard earlier, Jesus shows compassion for his peoples, not only with healing the 5,000, but here are the, here are the 4,000. Um, and he, he, he not only heals them physically, healing the blind, healing the lame, but he shows, he shows concern for their tired, for their physical well-being by feeding them, by making sure they're ready for the journey ahead. In verse 33, and the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? The question could be asked, and I've asked it to myself many times, if if we lived in Jesus' time and we saw these miracles, if we heard Jesus speak at these various things, would we have more faith? Or do us as people living in this time who have the whole Bible who have supporting scripture, who have countless theologians and preachers that we've heard, do we have more faith because of that? And so it's just a question that that plays in my head. And so with that, do we today, do do we recognize God's work in our life today? In verse 34, and Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven, and a small few, few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up the baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children, and after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. And remember, like just like Michael and Rick pointed out in their sermons, it's not just a matter of 5,000 and 4,000, it's women and children. So we could be looking upwards of 15,000 people. And so... That alone, is just, it's just an amazing thing. Like, if you think of the baskets and you think of the feeding, and the question will be asked later again, like, how do we feed these people? But it's like, he's already done it. <laughs> so, and the other question that comes to mind is, some scholars kind of argue, is the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000 the same thing? Um, and other, other scholars say, no, clearly it's two different things, which I agree Um, because Blair Hammer was here, he would say, it's all about location, 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 right? It's real estate. Um, The feeding of the 4,000 took place, or the feeding of the 5,000 took place in Bethesda, uh, close to the Sea of Galilee, which was mostly a Jewish crowd. In contrast, the feeding of the 4,000 took place, and I might be saying this wrong, garrisons in the region around the Decapolis to a mostly Gentile uh, Greek and Roman crowd for citizens. And so, yeah, there's there's a slight contrast. Moving on to verse 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees are demanding the signs. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. I think some of the other preachers have talked about the Pharisees and Sadducees and some of their difference, but I'm going to hit them again. Um, both of these guys were ruling the ruling sects and made up a majority of the Sanhedrin, or would be comparable to our Senate today. These two sects were long-standing enemies with a lot of opposing views. Religiously, the Sadducees were more conservative, insisted on a literal interpretation of the text of Scripture. The Pharisees, on the other hand, gave oral tradition equal authority to the written Word of God. If the Sadducees couldn't find, it, find a command in the Tanakh, they dismissed it as man-made. The Sadducees rejected a belief in the resurrection of the dead and the afterlife, where the Pharisees taught the existence of angels and demons in a spiritual realm. And earlier in Matthew, I think Jesus names them correctly, um, he basically calls them a brood of vipers. So the fact that these two came together would be like our Democrats and Republicans coming together today, and how often does that happen? It doesn't. So these two, two political foes were, they weren't so much wanting to test Jesus to see if he was the king, they were actually looking for ways to prove that he was a false prophet or that maybe he even had power from Satan. And they wanted Jesus out of the picture because basically he threatened their way of life, their stature, and their status. So they wanted to get rid of him any way they could. In verse 2, Jesus answers them. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the sky or the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So this is kind of like the old saying, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Evening red, morning gray are sure signs of a fine day. It continues on, right? It's the same thing. So Jesus was saying, you understand the farmer's almanac way better than you understand the signs and wonders of the time. He's showing signs and wonders right in front of them, healing people, feeding people miraculously. His word, and they're not seeing it. Verse four, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Jesus spoke of the sign of the prophet Jonah in Matthew 12, 39 through 41, clearly explaining the comparison, the comparison of the com- the coming resurrection. The similarities between Jonah and Jesus are clear. Jonah sacrificed himself so that others would be saved. So did Jesus, or Jesus would. Jonah disappeared for three days and nights in the belly of the fish. Jonah came back after three days, and uh, just like Jesus, Jesus came back three days after, after, came out of the tomb, sorry. Jonah preached about repentance, so did Jesus. Jesus basically said, no sign will be given because giving signs and miracles at this point, you haven't been seeing them. You are spiritually blind. Like I said, Jesus has been healing the sick, resurrecting the dead, feeding the thousands, and they have not seen it. Moving on to verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began to discuss it amongst themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing this amongst yourselves, the fact that you have no bread? It's hard to imagine the disciples so easily forgot that they had just fed 4,000 people, like, days ago, right? And and so I don't think they really forgot. I think it's more like the disciples, this, in their time, the disciples had, like, what they made for their kind of bread. So they had their leaven, or they had their ingredients for their kind of bread, and Gentiles had makings for their kind of bread. And so even though back in or in Mark 7, 20 through 22, Jesus told the disciples that it's not what goes into a body that defiles it, but it's what comes out. They still were in that tradition of like the old ways. It's kind of like how we can get kind of lost in our old habits, our old sinful ways. It's easy to either think about them or go back to them and just, oh, shoot, I can't do that, right? Well, I think it's the same thing here. I don't think they really forgot. Jesus did these miracles. I think they just didn't think about it was okay to eat that kind of bread. Verse 9. Do you not perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus' use of leaven as a metaphor is consistent. He used it as a picture of sin and corruption. Uh, William Barclay comments it was the Jewish metaphorical expression of an evil influence. To the Jewish mind, leaven was always symbolic of evil. Leaven stood for an evil influence liable to spread through life and corrupt it. Also, John Trapp. His commentary described the use of leaven as false doctrine, which is fitly called leaven because it soureth, swelleth, spreadeth, corrupteth the whole lump. And all this secretly. So neither can our eyes discern it from dough by the color, but only by the palate or taste. Also, John Trapp says in Job, Job 34, uh, 3, Now the ear trieth words, and the mouth trieth meat. Or for us today in the ESV, for the ear tests words, and the palate tastes foods. food. Jesus is telling us, don't simply take things at face value. Do your own study. Like when you come on Sundays, take it in. I think a lot of the MCs have been encouraged to, to see what's coming in the week, the week coming up on Sunday. And some of them have been going through it ahead of time. Just to like kind of prepare yourself because the more times you hit something, the more it sticks. Remember that under construction sign? Yeah, that's me. I, I need to hit things many times, otherwise it won't stick. And I'm not kidding. Um, another thing about learning is what I'm learning is words matter. Um, even though Jared's been on sabbatical over the last four or five years, my wife too. I give Tracy credit too. Um, they to me that words matter, so I'm aware of how I use words, not only when I speak, but when I write and when I rewrite things. Right just to check for accuracy, to check for clarity because the intentionality of words matter. So prepare yourself so that you might be aware or discern the words of false teachings and question things you don't understand so that you might gain clarity to understand. So always test the things of the world against God's word. So I've kind of, like I said, we're not doing a, a two or three hour deep dive because each one of those had many little pieces. I tried to hit the, the main points. Um, but I ended up doing two conclusions, so you'll have to bear with me. In our verses today, God showed that he loved us. He shows us how much he sent his, his son Jesus to show us the way. Jesus not only cares for our spiritual needs, but he also cares for our physical needs, healing those with disability and feeding the hungry and tired. The Pharisees and Sadducees demanded signs, much the way the religiously lost and unbelievers do today. And they could ask us to prove our beliefs, which hopefully we can with the gospel, or even worse, they can try to convince us that their way is the way. But again, Jesus warns us to be aware of false prophets, prophets and their teachings. And just like we saw in the City Slickers video, when Jack Balance says, there's one thing that you got to figure out. With faith in Jesus, that one thing you have to figure out is trust. How do I build trust in Christ that strengthens my faith? There's two things. There's faith, hope, and love, Right? Hope is more of the future. Faith is now. So how do we build trust to not only prepare ourselves to defend our faith now, but to also hear and discern things that are false? So one of the things that happened at Man Camp, um, one of the guys uh, in confession basically said for the last year or two, I've been going through the motions. I've been going to work, providing for my family, and I... I actually excel there. I come home. I spend time with my kids and my wife. I go to church on Sunday. I spend time reading the Bible. I spend time praying. I check all those boxes, but I don't do it with my heart. It's just a check. And I could totally relate with this man because for a big part of my life, I did the exact same thing. And so the warning or the thing to think about is living half-heartedly, it sets us up for failure and sin. Half-hearted is the same as being double-minded. And God warns us in James 6, 1, 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And in James 4:8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Double minded. I heard this saying recently that made me stop in my tracks. We repent enough to be forgiven. Do we surrender enough to be changed? And again, that one word is trust. How do I gain more trust that builds my faith in Jesus? It's time and it's relationship. The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we see life through his lens. The more we can see and discern false teachings of the world. Look to his word for truth and wisdom. And I probably should have made a slide for these because this is going to be a roller coaster, but hang on. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. When you get a chance, read Job 28, 12 through 28. And Job is pondering, where do we, where do we get wisdom from that concludes in verse 28? And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Romans thirty. Romans eleven thirty three. 33. the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrupable his ways. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. One more, sorry. Read James three thirteen through 18 where I see the kind of wisdom God wants us to have in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Okay, and this is my final conclusion, I promise. My final, final conclusion. You can continue to live a life that's half-hearted, checking the boxes, being double-minded, and life will go on. You'll experience joy. You'll experience pain. You'll continue to live. I can testify to this. I did this. This is how I lived. Once I surrendered and decided to be wholeheartedly for God, once I decided to be God-minded first, to test the things of man through God's lens, the Bible, once I decided to continue to build faith through God, through trusting the Lord, his word, the Bible, life has slowly started to change for me. As I spend time building relationship with God, I see his plan and his will unfolding in my life. I'm being patient with purpose and direction. I see God working through those around me and putting people in my life for a purpose. One of the ways we love God is by loving his people. By spending time together. Iron sharpens iron. All these things we do here that support Sundays, they're for a purpose. DNA group, MCs, re-engage. They're for a purpose. It's how God designed us. He designed us to live together. He didn't design us to go to heaven. It's just you and Jesus and that's it. It's all of us here that believe. So, I won't go down that road, sorry. I'll start preaching. So part of ironing, sharpening iron, that means I need to share. When I go to something, I need to listen. I need to to be vulnerable. And I need to live life with others intentionally. And yes, that does make me vulnerable. But what it does, scratch that but what does it matter if you know my sin? I've confessed my sin to the only, the main person that matters, and that's God. And he knows my true heart, whether I've changed or not. Confessing to ourselves gives space for others to know that they're not alone. And I'm doing my best to leave sin behind. I'm not perfect. It's, it's called sanctification for a reason. It takes time, it takes purpose, it takes focusing on God, it takes asking forgiveness. So it really does matter if I share because the one who matters knows and that's okay. Living and sharing life together gives us a chance, as I said, to live, and I love this word over the last weekend, as co-inheritors of God's greatest gift, Jesus. It gives us glimpses of what heaven can be like. And yes, we can still get hurt, but God eases those pains. And I don't fear as much. God's got me. Things of the world don't impact me as much because God has purpose in it. And the lost aren't as hard to understand because I have to realize I was once lost too. Paul said, so... Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And I experience greater love by seeking God, by seeking his word, by living in community and serving you, and by trusting and putting faith in him that that he's got it all. So my question I want to leave you with today It's a simple one. What is the Holy Spirit putting on your heart today?